listening to the Gator Sports Podcast with your host, Zach Alboverde. Coming in hot. And Graham Hall. Jumping. Coming smooth. Jumping. And the bass gets jumping. Brought to you by the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com. Welcome into another Gator Sports Podcast presented by the Gainesville Sun. I'm your host, Zach Albaverde, joined to my right by my co-host, Graham Hall, basketball beat writer, and many more for the Gainesville Sun. Graham, what's up, man? Hey, man. How you doing? It's good to have you back here in studio. Yeah. We've had a few back and forths in between you having to be over Zoom, but we've kept doing this, and it's always good to be by your side here in studio, my man. Absolutely, and obviously uh, we got a lot to discuss on today's show. We'll be joined by Florida's Director of Player Personnel, Charlie Skolaski. You'll hear my full interview with him over a half hour as we discuss a number of topics uh, about UF recruiting, about his background, and certainly things coming up with the dead period coming to an end and what that's going to mean for UF recruiting. So definitely look forward to that interview. Graham and I will also discuss the new basketball edition that Mike White has to his program, and we'll recap some of the UF sports at the end of the pod. But I do want to mention and start the show, Graham, with uh, the series that we had over the weekend on Gatorsports.com. You guys can still go check it out now. And it was entitled Player Turned Staffer, and it highlighted four guys in Mullen's program who used to play for the Gators and now on his staff and the roles that they play and kind of what they bring to the table. And obviously you got Vernell Brown, Graham, who's the director of player development, one of the guys in Dan Mullen's program who's a right-hand man for him and one of his most trusted staff members. you got Reggie McGrew on Nick Savage's strength staff who trains the defensive linemen. And being a guy that's a former first-round pick certainly brings a lot of wealth and experience to that spot. And then the recruiting department. I think a lot of players uh, know Kiwan Ratliff you know, from the recruiting ranks, but you also have Charlie Skolaski who heads the department. He's the director of player personnel and kind of manages and runs everything uh, over there and, and does a great job as well. And I think has brought some stability to that spot after Dan Mullen had a lot of different director player personnel in his first couple of years. But I think the most important thing and, and why we wanted to feature it is just what those guys bring to the program from a player perspective and understanding where those guys have been, they've been in their shoes, and also just the, I think, the expectations of this program and what it's supposed to look like. You know, some of these guys have seen Florida football at its best. Some of these guys have seen Florida football at its worst. And I definitely encourage everyone to go check out that series. Each guy has a really unique story. But I do want to give Dan Mullen, I think, kudos, and as did Charles Kalaski, for making an effort to involve former players in the program, not just on staff, but in general. Because not all Florida coaches have done that, and, and they feel like that's really critical to success. I'm glad you said that, because that's exactly what I was thinking. It's something that you cannot take for granted, because it hasn't necessarily happened here Every under every former head coach. You have seen previous head coaches, I, I won't go out there and really name anyone, but you have seen them not exactly embrace some of the past stars to come through these doors, and we've talked about how that is to their detriment I think often not only in alienating a critical part of your support group now your fan base in in former players but you're also losing some of the appeal to players that you're bringing into the program I think that guys want to see that they may have an opportunity to stick around a program for a long time and maybe start their head coaching career their ascension into the ranks at their former at their alma mater and to not do that with past players, I thought was just a huge missed opportunity because fans seem to love it. You see the response on social media, the retweets, people just acknowledging that guys that they saw making plays in the early 2000s and beyond have, have come through the doors now. And I just love seeing that they're back in the building here. Yeah, I think it, it definitely helps Mullen, especially when he first got here, trying to make this turnaround happen to have players that understand what that Gator standard is that he always likes to talk about. And at I think the most interesting thing that I thought in reporting the series is just how those guys fit into the program and the roles that they play. You got somebody that pretty much at every layer of the program outside of coaching. Certainly Dan Mullen and his staff and guys that were staff members here before at UF, they can take care of that, the coaching aspect. But then you look at certainly in the recruiting department and that process to have the, the strength staff and the developmental process. And then from the player side off the field that Vernell Brown, the role that he plays, I mean, you're basically hitting three key aspects of these guys' development that they have to go through from when they are recruits being pursued by the University of Florida to when they're getting ready to graduate and they're going to have to figure out life after football. Um, and to have guys that 
are in those roles and probably means a little bit more to them to be helping out those athletes and to show up to work every day. Um, I just think it makes for an overall better product. Uh, so definitely kudos to those guys. It's kind of cool to see how that's come together. And, and I you know appreciate learning about some of those guys' stories and, and how they wound up back at UF. So definitely stick around for the interview with Charles Kalaski. He will really break down his background, but also the role that he plays now for UF recruiting. And another guy with some UF ties, Graham, that was reportedly uh, set to join the staff uh, is Tyson Summers, who was uh, recently a defensive coordinator at Colorado. And his dad uh, played for the Gators and is a guy that kind of had his son grow up, you know, wanting to be a part of this program. So really cool opportunity for Tyson Summers to join the staff as an analyst. And we've seen Graham what that role has done for some guys that have come to Florida in terms of the promotions that they've been able to get, but also uh, you're bringing in somebody else. He's not a former player, but has the background, I think, of this program that's going to be able to help out as well. Continuing to find players who are able to take that next step is, I think, absolutely critical because, yeah, you can find guys, and no offense to them, obviously, like Kiwan and, and Vernell Brown because look at look at Kiwan. I mean, he was right kind of in your backyard developing 7v7 players with Rat Pack, which, which you talked about in your story. Fantastic series, uh, by the way. But to continue to do that year in and year out, finding guys who can come into your program as analysts who may be on the cusp of a Power 6 assistant job. I mean, look at Garrick McGee last year, uh, what they did adding him in July. Continuing to do that is going to this Gator standard that you talk about, it's going to further it. Um, uh, it's going to further the standard, as lame as that kind of sounds. Yeah, and this is a guy, Summers, who was also the head coach at Georgia Southern, and he's uh, been a lot of stops around the South that I think can bring a lot of perspective and, and value into that role. So uh, as you know, we see Dan Mullen kind of put some finishing touches on his staff. You also see Mike White putting some finishing touches on his basketball roster. And Graham, the Gators got another addition this week. Flandris Fleming Jr. You got to love that name. Coming out of Charleston Southern, he decided to commit to the Gators and a guy that last season averaged over 20 points and also averaged seven rebounds, uh, shot almost 40% from the field, and I think is another guy that's going to bring some offensive firepower to that lineup and certainly an addition that I think Mike White needed to have. And now that's four guys that they've added through the transfer portal, Graham. I, first, I got to say, I do love his name. I, yes. I didn't say this. Um, myself, so I can't take credit for it, but I got to give a shout out to Andy Hutchins at Alligator Army for saying this, but the best part about his name is that he is a junior, which means that his father decided that he would not suffer alone or succeed alone with that fantastic name because it's not one that you're going to forget, and he made sure that opponents didn't forget it in the Big South. That was a guy that you look at his numbers the last two years as a junior in, in 2019-2020 before the season got short cut short he got averaged 18.7 points a game and 8.4 rebounds as a six foot four guard that is tremendous especially when you look at Mike White has consistently harped on the need for the smaller players on the lineup to chase rebounds and make up for a little bit what Florida lacked in the front court last season. So now you get a guard that can do a little bit of replacing what Trey Mann did so well in chasing rebounds, averaged more than six rebounds a game as Florida's starting point guard last year. I was really surprised, Zach, that this guy was still available. You, you saw him put out a top eight back on April 3rd. It didn't have the Gators in it. Hmm. It had Clemson. It had Georgia, which I thought was where he was going to go yeah, because state, yeah. Athens native. He, I mean, he played basketball nine minutes from the UGA campus. I, I thought that he for sure was going to go back home a, after averaging 20-7 and seven last year. Virginia was in there as well. To pick the Gators, I think some things had to fall into place because he delayed his commitment. He was going to commit on Sunday of last week. Florida still thought that they had a chance with Noah Gurley, who we talked about on last week's episode, the Furman University transfer, yep. who ultimately chose Alabama. And it was a late decision, from what I understand. But it gave Florida enough time to pivot and, and get Flanders Fleming to delay his commitment by 24 hours. And then they get a guy, who absolutely an, another guard, who can light it up and a very good defensive player, uh, which you have to note, another defensive player of the year. He won DPOI in the Big South this year, and along with Brandon McKissick, who also won Defensive Player of the Year at UMKC, that's two guys that are going to boost Florida um, from a defensive standpoint next year, as well as guys who were averaging more than 17 points a game last season. And a little bit more, I got to note, 
seniority on the roster. Florida didn't have any seniors last year, and now they're going to have, it looks like, at least three next year. Mm. It definitely is going to help to have that type of experience. And, and the good thing, Graham, too, is the Gators are not done in the transfer portal despite all the success that they have. They still have one, potentially two roster spots available. How do you expect those to get filled? What positions of need do they still have? And is there some names out there for us to watch? I think that... For sure, they're going to go after a forward. I think that they definitely need a little bit of a boost in the front court. But as I was telling you, I think that Florida can take a little bit of a risk here. They've been so successful in the transfer portal. In my mind, they really have hit on all four of the guys that they've landed right now that I think that they can take a little bit more of a risk. Maybe a guy that coming from a mid-major even didn't have big numbers or maybe a guy like Colin Castleton that played on a power six team looking for another opportunity elsewhere. Former top 100 guy, but really didn't get a chance to show it. And they come into your program and, and do something the way Castleton did. Florida really has a chance to be patient right now because you're going to see more players enter the transfer portal over the next two, three months. I don't think they necessarily need to go out there and land a guy right now, although certainly they would like their entire roster on campus by the time June workouts begin, but they have afforded themselves a time to be patient right now if they so choose. So we'll find out what they do here pretty soon, but the way that they have started the additions after the attrition's pretty impressive in my mind, Zach. Absolutely, and it's been a busy time for recruiting in college basketball, not just for Florida, but a lot of teams with all the transfer portal action. And it's also going to be a busy time in college football recruiting come June because the NCAA has officially decided this week to lift the dead period. It is going to be coming to an end. Finally, we get to have some more recruiting action. These prospects are going to be able to make their way to campus and check out some of these programs that have been recruiting for them. And as Charles Kalassi told me, uh, Graham, I mean, some of these guys in the 2022 cycle haven't even been on a campus yet. They haven't had that opportunity to visit some of the schools that have offered them. So it's going to really ramp up in recruiting here come June. They already got over a dozen official visitors scheduled for that first weekend in June, as Graham and I talked about on a previous podcast. But we're going to go to this first break. We're going to come back on the other side and bring you our full interview in depth with Charlie Skolaski, Florida's Director of Player Personnel. You'll learn about his background, his path to UF, and his role now in UF recruiting. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back into the Gator Sports Podcast presented by the Gainesville Sun. We are now joined by Florida's Director of Player Personnel, Charlie Skolaski. Definitely a lot of ground that we're going to get to cover with him today, not only on his role now, but his background here at the University of Florida. Charlie, thank you for joining us this week. How's it going, my man? It's going great, Zach, and it's my pleasure to join you. Appreciate the opportunity. No, absolutely, man. I, I definitely uh, wanted to have you on here. And, and, you know, you got an amazing story um, that we'll get into, you know, before we talk about your role here. But it does start right here in the Sunshine State. You're born and raised in Miami and had the opportunity to come and play at the University of Florida. Um, for, for folks that aren't familiar with your time and, 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 you know, and your background here with the Gators, talk about, you know, playing for the Gators during your career and obviously some of the, uh, teams and, and, and players that you got to be a part of? Not to sound trite, but you know, the only way I can describe it is an incredible blessing. Uh, yeah. You know, a real privilege. It, it's, it's funny. It's I would have never thought it growing up. I'm a kid born in Miami. My father played at the University of Miami. He was a big offensive lineman. My mom's not a big lady, and I came out right in the middle, a DB <laughs> that could run. <laughs> so to have the opportunity to come to a school like the University of Florida and I really, I mean, probably the biggest reason I came to the University of Florida was a guy named Ken Hatfield, who was the secondary coach at the time when I came here, who was just uh, has a national reputation, as I'm sure you know, went on to be a head coach at Air Force, Clemson, Arkansas, Rice, um, you know, and then Coach Dickey, who was my head coach, who I think yep. is a man of great integrity, and then to have been blessed with some of the teammates I had, guys like Wes Chandler and uh, Tony Green and Scott Hutchinson and, you know, Earl Carr, Willie Wilder. You got to be a little older Gator to know those names. But, uh, you know, we we were we had a phenomenal team and guys. When I got here as a freshman, guys like Ralph Ortega and Glenn Cameron and Randy Talbot, uh, we had been rivals in high school. Uh, They were went to my arch rival high school, Carl Gables High School. And so it just was really a a more or less a a dream come true, better than I could have dreamed or asked to have an opportunity to, to be at the University of Florida. 
Sure. And, and obviously playing for this program and, and, and playing in the SEC and all the games, you know, in moments that you got to be a part of, just what did that do for you personally as a player? And then just kind of, uh, I, I guess, kind of lit a fire under you in terms of your passion and kind of where it took your career. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it's, it's amazing. It was a, uh, <laughs> I'd be lying if I didn't say it, it was, you know, struggle's the wrong word because struggle connotates a net has like a negative connotation, but I had to fight, bite, scratch and claw to have an opportunity to play here and what playing I did, you know, sure. you know, I, so I look back on that though, and I'm so thankful for it because it developed a grit, it developed a, a, a perseverance and a tenacity that I, I don't think I would have had without it. And it's it's clearly the stuff that I believe in as a coach, you know, that's that serves you later in life. You know, football, football is a tool. It's not the end in and of itself. Hopefully it's a tool that teaches you life lessons to enables you to be successful so that, you know, when that time comes and you're married and you've got kids and that adversity hits, you don't quit. You know, you don't you 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 know that you've been equipped with the tools to persevere. So I feel so fortunate to have been in this program and to have been taught those lessons. And just lessons have served me well in life. Then you throw in on top of it, just the, you know, the cherry on top, which is that's getting to play the game and the relationships with your teammates and coaches and the staff. And, you know, I think back, you know, again, I'm a little older now, you know, when I was here, Chris Patrick was a trainer and Bud Fernandez was the equipment guy. And, you know, uh, it, it was just, you know, I'm just very blessed for the relationships and, and the lessons that this game taught me. Absolutely. Now, I do got to ask you, you know, all the opponents in the SEC that, that had to face uh, West Chandler and all those games, you, you had the assignment of trying to guard him in practice. What was it like to play with somebody of that level? And, and what were some of those uh, battles like in, in practice? The guy, you know, and, and of course, you know, when I say this, oh, you're just being a favorite, you know, there's a downside to getting older, right? Your knees start to go and all that. But there's an upside. You've seen more than everybody else. And Florida, what a history of unbelievable receivers at this institution, right? I mean, sure. it's phenomenal. There's none better than Wes, I'm telling you right now. I mean, the, the record speaks for itself. He's the third player taken in the draft. Uh, the guy could take over a game. And just that, you know, he, like just to practice against that guy made you Yeah, better. I was going to imagine. But, but I mean, I will tell you a funny story. My freshman year, we had another guy that was an All-American receiver named Lee McGriff, who everybody knows well. Yeah. And you talk about a guy who is the definition of, perseverance and grit and work. And I'll never forget my freshman year, I'm out there in the scout team doing something. And, you know, Lee's not the biggest guy in the world. I'm a little bigger, faster, all that stuff. And he grabs me one day, he goes, Hey, if you're just going to, you know, give it, I want to get better. Give me everything you got. And it left an indelible impression on me, man, that from that day forward, I probably, cause you can start to feel a little sorry for yourself when you're on the scout team, you know, sure. like, you know, you can't do anything right. But that's, that's the beauty of Florida too. Coming to Florida, you're going to practice against the best guys day in and day out. You're getting better and you don't even know you're getting better because yeah. you have to, to survive. No doubt. Absolutely. And obviously, you know, from your playing career, you, you got your uh, bachelor's degree in criminal justice, your master's degree as well. And during that time, you started your coaching career and, and really two unique opportunities that you got, Charlie. One to uh, start with Steve Spurrier when he got his coaching career. And then you also got to work under Mike Shanahan, Talk about those two opportunities, learning from those guys and kind of what that did for you. Yeah, incredible opportunity, right? You know, if you looked at the GA piece of it, you know, when you're a graduate assistant coach, if you looked at that like being in graduate school, I mean, that'd be people would pay thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? That, you're, that's the Wharton or whatever analogy you want to use of I get to have that in football. Uh, couldn't have been two guys, couldn't be any more diametrically opposite in how they approach it. <laughs> coach Spurrier uh, is is unique. You know, he's a, he's literally just a gifted genius. He's, he's almost like unconsciously competent as you know, an offense. It's, it comes so easy to him. Uh, he is a laissez-faire, you know, always got a smile on his face kind of guy. And, uh, yeah. and, it, and it was good for me. It was really good for me to be exposed to him like that because, again, I was a guy that always had to work so hard and grit. And so I tended to get this thing. There's only one way to do it, you know, nose to the grindstone. And there's different ways to skin the cat, obviously. And then, you know, I uh, wound up uh, being retained when they made the coaching change from Coach Dickey to Coach Pell, and we brought in Coach Shanahan. And Coach Shanahan's a very different guy, at least then, at that point in his career. He's a very straight arrow, a lot of hours, you know, grinded out and all that. So I got exposed to two different guys, two different ways to do it, both incredibly gifted at what they did. And, you know, as they say, the rest of the story, you know, tells itself, you know, uh, 
who knew? I mean, I was young, dumb and stupid. Who knew I was in the presence of such, you know, football royalty, as it were at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Charlie, after that, you know, obviously you, you talked about your passions before we started this interview. And I know you talked about either you wanted to get into coaching or you wanted to be in the FBI. And, you know, after, you know, your time at Florida, you decided to try and, and, and pursue that career path. You kind of moved up the ladder. And then you also got into another uh, side, the corporate world, and ended up working as a New York executive. So the experience from both of those sides, I, you know, you, you could sit here, I'm sure, and talk all day about it. What I want to ask you is what did, I guess, lessons that you kind of took from being in law enforcement and also being in at that level of the executive level in terms of your organization, in terms of the work that it takes uh, for those professions and what lessons did you learn that you kind of carried, uh, you know, later into your career? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, from the, from the kind of the law enforcement side, generally speaking, just, I think one of the big things I took away is I like being an athlete, but you can't let the situation be bigger than you. You know, you, um, you got to stay calm, cool, collected. Those sound you know easy, but um, obviously, and I have a lot of empathy for people in law enforcement, especially today. Obviously, you know, there, there's a lot going on in our society, and there's been some bad actors that unfortunately, unfortunately tarnish the whole. And, and, and as a guy that was in it and been around it, that's exactly what they are. They're the minority, but um, it is a, it, you know, it's, 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 there's a lot of, a lot more on the line at times in law enforcement than winning a game. And so I think the big thing I learned was always stay in control of your emotions, always stay, you know, rely on what you know to be true, what you've been trained to do, all that kind of stuff. And, sure. you know, it's, it's served me well in life. Flip over to the kind of the, the corporate side of my life and really, you know, that's that's where a lot of the benefits, uh, not that certainly a lot of the athletic training paid off in the law enforcement piece, but even more so, you know, a lot in the corporate piece in terms of I swear, I think a lot of my success in the corporate world was I just outworked people you know? yeah. and and uh, just a work ethic and a tenacity and, uh, you know, whatever it takes. I mean, the hours you put in when you're a G.A., are hilarious compared to, you know, I call it the civilian life outside of football, you know, I mean, it's, uh, and so you almost feel like you're stealing, but, you know, and then the people skills, I was very fortunate. I worked, you know, for some great organizations in corporate America that, you know, I was exposed to some incredible training and just a lot of the uh, skill training I received in people skills, interpersonal relationships, negotiation skills, closing skills, things like that, which really then, serve me well back in athletics because that's all you do in recruiting is build relationships. You know, if you're doing it right, let me put it that way. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, again, I just, I get, I'm just a guy who has been incredibly blessed to be around some really good people and, and just been fortunate enough to soak a lot of stuff in. Absolutely. Now, before we talked about how you ended up back at the University of Florida, I want to talk about how you ended up back in coaching, because as you mentioned, you moved to New York in 1999. You were uh, an executive there. And and obviously, things were going great for you. And I want you to tell the story about how your life and career kind of altered by the events that happened of 9-11 and the opportunity that you got to get into coaching there. Yeah. So certainly not the uh, normal career path for most coaches in America. Sure. Uh, and it, you know, I, my wife and I often reminisce about this. It's interesting. But so, yes, I'm, I'm in New York City uh, working for a great company. I'm a corporate executive. I'm, I'm basically running the New York City office, which was the largest office in the world for our company and uh, the most lucrative office. And 9-11, I, I actually was heading downtown. I had an appointment at 120 Broadway that morning, which is about three and a half blocks from uh, the Trade Center, uh, and was heading down there when the first plane hit. And so uh, I had not, I actually came back up out of the subway and went into my office. The, the, the short version of the story, Zach, is that 9-11, uh, like most Americans, impacted me significantly. It caused me to have a time of really kind of introspection. Am, am I really doing what I feel the good Lord put me here to do? Or am I just chasing my tail uh, in, you know, if you could see me right now, I'm doing air quotes, worldly success. Uh and I really started asking myself, am I, do I want to be, have a successful life or a life of significance? Which then led me to start asking a lot of other questions, quite frankly. I had always been very close to football. I'd never gotten far from it. I was president of the F Club. I was very close friends in the 90s. I lived in Gainesville for a period of the 90s when I was in the corporate world. I was in charge of a division, so I just traveled a lot. And uh, so became very close to Coach Spurrier's staff. And so 
you know, was very close to football. Bob Sanders was on the staff, John Reeves, two guys I was close to, Carl Franks, oh, that whole staff I was close to, Jim Collins. And um, so was, you know, stayed in touch with football, well, although I was not formally a part of football, would watch film. I'd come in here and watch film sometimes with those guys. And always felt like I was missing something. Well, so 9-11 happens, uh, the economy be- gets in turmoil. At the time when 9-11 happened, my company had 22,000 employees worldwide. A year later, we had 11,000 because just reductions in force. The end of it is I, I took a, a negotiated buyout from my company. Uh, they were very gracious. And I said, I'm going to take, you know what, I'm going I'm to do what I think I was called to do. I, I left a part out in the interim there. Uh, after 9-11 happened, uh, we started taking a little more time off from work, thinking I started a volunteer, started volunteer coaching uh, our ninth, a ninth grade football team, several members of the community. The com- I lived in an affluent bedroom community in New York City, and we lost 13 members of my community that day who were killed in the towers. And a couple of them were volunteer coaches, and I had got contacted, and I took the place of one of those guys, started coaching again, and was smitten and realized this is what I wanted to do. Had no idea how I was going to break that to my wife or kids because uh, <laughs> that wasn't going to go over well, probably. I, I was living, a, again, from the world's view, a pretty good lifestyle. And so uh, I was doing that and then wound up because of, you know, the coming, taking a, a buyout from the company in my own mind, knowing I'm going to pursue coaching. I wish you could have been there for that conversation with my wife. Um, <laughs> and she reluctantly said, okay, well, sure. You can take a few months to see if you can get back into coaching, thinking in her mind, never in a million years is this going to get back into coaching. How's he going to get back into coaching? He's been out of it, you know, for 15 years. And, uh, Wound up reaching out to a lot of people, went and spent time with Mike Malarkey and the Pittsburgh Steelers. They were gracious to me, spent some time uh, with Ken Wisenhunt, who was the tight end coach at the time. Uh, wrote a million letters, reached out to a million people, wound up getting an opportunity to go to Liberty University. And that's where the story started to accelerate from there. But for me, the reason I got back into coaching, it wasn't because, oh, I have this incredible desire to draw X's and O's or I'm the world's best strategist or any of that stuff. I just... Nothing like football ever spoke to my heart as a sphere of it to be a sphere of influence to change people's lives. It changed my life. Um, it gave, you know, it taught me a lot of life lessons. And I just was, there was a strong yearning inside uh, telling me to pay it forward if it would, if I could. Absolutely. And obviously, it definitely, you definitely made the most of it, spending almost a decade at Liberty in, in various roles as a coach, as director of football operations, you coordinated the recruiting. I mean, you did it all. And that led to an opportunity with the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, as an assistant wide receivers coach. You go back to Liberty, Charlie, as a director of player personnel, and then a couple more stops along the way as, as a coach and as an analyst. And you got uh, promoted to a special teams coordinator and an assistant coach at your last stop. Charlotte. So you did it all. How did the opportunity at the University of Florida kind of present itself? And what was it like to get that chance to come back and be a Gator? Yeah. So like uh, most coaches, you know, don't don't plant your feet too long because there's going to be change. We So as at Charlotte, uh, they, they let our head coach go. So, you know, back on the market again, I had talked to uh, Greg Knox and he had given my name to Coach Mullen. And Coach Mullen, I didn't know this at the time, but he was in the midst of overhauling the recruiting department. He had a vision for what he wanted to accomplish. And so he gave me a call and we chatted. I, uh, I'll never forget the first call I got from him. I actually was on my way to Lexington. I was I was going up to the University of Kentucky. I was doing a special teams clinic. Uh, it was myself, the special teams coordinator from Clemson, from Kentucky, and a couple of schools would get together. And we were just kind of talking special teams ball. So it's funny. I Coach caught me on the way there, and we got disconnected a couple times. He called me back. I was driving through the mountains, so he was – I'm, I'm very thankful for his perseverance because <laughs> I thought this guy's never going to call me back. You know, yeah. I mean, we got disconnected. But uh, he kind of told me about the opportunity here, and then, you know, I didn't hear from him for a couple of weeks as he was doing things on his end, and then we talked again. I flew down here for an interview, and, uh, you know, it was interesting because I love the coaching piece is, is – is really important to me. It's important to me to have relationships with the young men, but coach did a great job presenting this as an opportunity to positively impact, you know, a program that needless to say, I love uh, one that, you know, there's a connection to more than just being a, you know, an ex player or a place where you got your degree. It's a place I owe so much to um, and did a great job, at, you know, telling me why this was the right move. Uh, thought long about it, prayed about it and, you know, decided to come back and, and here we are, you know, it's been, you know, it's I, I feel like we've made progress in recruiting here. We, we 
we've come a long way. We got a long way to go. You know, we won't be satisfied till we feel like we've signed the best class in America. And that necessarily may not be reflected in some, you know, ESPN ranking or something. I can promise <laughs> you we don't pay a lot of attention to that. But, you know, meeting our team needs and recruiting the type of student athletes that, that you know, befit a school of the stature of the University of Florida. But that was kind of it, you know, a phone call and, and a chance to come down and interview. And then Coach did a great job of selling the program. And here we are. Absolutely. And, and as a director of player personnel, definitely head the recruiting here at the University of Florida, a, a lot of responsibilities that you have on your plate. Charlie, just talk to folks that maybe not be familiar with your role as director of player personnel, what all that entails, kind of what your uh, job is like on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis, and all the things that you have to report to Coach Mullen. That's a great question, because it is kind of a, it is a, uh, I don't want to say a jack of all trades, because that means that I'm a master of none, right? So that doesn't sound good, but <laughs> it is. Uh, you know, it, it is a multitasking job in my role. Uh, you know, we we tried the visions to try to have. I, there's probably about 13 folks that are on my team, basically, and you know, which would include like the graphics people, the creative media people, Kevin Camps and his crew, and they obviously do a fabulous job. Then we have a bunch of what they call assistant directors, player personnel, but and we try to have them work specifically with a position coach. Just an example, Kirby O'Mara is an example. He works with Coach Hevesy. So it's yep. Kirby's job to know, really, he better know everything there is to know about the top, you know, 75 offensive linemen in the country that we deem the top 75. Again, not necessarily what 247 says or ESPN, and I'm not maligning them. I'm just saying, you know, we, it's, it's off our evaluation, not necessarily <laughs> what the fans would say. That's part of it, you know, and, and and I'm, I have to manage that, all those guys, and then the creative and all that, that I have responsibility for the position I'm working. When I first got here, I worked with, uh, you know, the corners. And now I'm working with Coach Gonzalez, helping him with the receivers, um, you know, just in terms of evaluating, making sure Coach is seeing all the right guys. And then there's a bunch of other things in terms of, you know, what hey, what what recruiting services are we going to use? What what are we going to do? Uh, well, for instance, Lee Davis does a great job. She's our director of recruiting operations. Lee's really responsible for all the on-campus stuff. You know, if a young man comes on campus for an official visit or an unofficial visit, what are we going to do? What's the itinerary going to be? What's good? So what can I do in my staff in support of that? Because when we have guys on campus, it's all hands on deck, you know? Yeah. Uh, and we'll probably get to that here in a few minutes about yeah. that. But, <laughs> but um, and then, you know, been meeting with members of the administration on the new building. Okay, here, our section, to make us as efficient as possible in this new facility that we've been fortunate that we're going to build, what should that look like in the recruiting section so that we can maximize our use of technology and, you know, uh, be the most efficient recruiting organization in the country? And and the list goes on and on. You know, occasionally it's, you know, talking to uh, influential alumni that, you know, want to just understand the process. And then at the same time, you know, talking to the media, but, you know, all within compliance. I meet with my guys regularly about any time, every time we meet, we'll also have a compliance reminder of that day because obviously nothing could derail us faster than a compliance issue in recruiting. So it, it really is kind of a multitasking job, but, you know, make no mistake, the number one goal for us is to identify and assist in the recruitment of elite student athlete talent, both athletically and academically to, you know, get them to the University of Florida. Now, obviously, that was made a little bit more difficult, Charlie, when this pandemic hit. And and I think a lot has been made about all the struggles that that related to recruiting. Talk about how you and your staff had to navigate through all that. I know you guys kind of took the virtual tours to the next level and the you know prospects and families that you had to meet with. How did you guys navigate through all that and still find a way to have success on the trail? Yep. Well, you know, I think I'll start off with I want to give Coach Mullen credit because uh, he had a good I think he had a good vision. I, you know, it, it's amazing. I just, I'm, I'm very blessed. I, I don't consider myself a very creative guy, but I'm very fortunate. I, I'm surrounded by a lot of creative people, uh, whether it be like Kevin Camps and Jordan Harold and his staff and, and, you know, or Randy Mickens with the video or, yeah. you know, we're just, you know, Lee does a great job and all the guys on my team are just very fortunate. And coach had a good vision about kind of, you know, Hey, these Zoom visits, everybody was doing, started doing Zoom visits, right? As you said, necessity is the mother of invention. Uh, but I, I really, and I, and I say this in all humility, uh, just talking to parents, talking to recruits, we constantly get feedback. Man, your Zoom visits are the best in the country. We, we jumped in both feet with those things, and we created a series. We created a menu, for lack of a better term, uh, and a series of videos 
whether it be about our strength training and, and speed development program with Coach Nick Savage, or whether it be about our nutrition program with Stephanie Horvath, our nutritionist, or whether it be about our medical and athletic training with Paul Silvestri, whether it be our academics, you know, we, we, we tell an academic story here that's second to none, uh, whether it be about the Gainesville community in the state of Florida. We created videos for each of those, and they may run anywhere from four minutes to eight minutes long. And then when that video is over, the content expert for that video comes on and talks. And I, and I just scratched the surface here. We have NIL presentations. We have branding presentations. We really jumped into this thing with both feet, uh, using all our creative expertise and Gator vision and all our in-house capability. And uh, so that when we do one of these Zoom virtual tours, it, it's a comprehensive thing. Now, we've learned a lot. When we first started doing them, <laughs> Uh, they were a little bit overly comprehensive. They were probably about two and a half to three hours. And that was a little bit much to ask people to sit through. And so now we we cut them up. You know, it's like anything else. We've gotten better as we go along. But I, again, I say this in all humility with thankfulness. If there's anybody doing a better Zoom out there, I'd like to know. And I've had numerous, having coached for a long time, I've had numerous friends in the industry. If I don't, I'm not going to say who other universities Tell us what you're doing. Hey, can you send us some of the videos? No, nah, I can't, but I can, you know, don't mind telling you what we've done. <laughs> uh, so, and it's been great. It's been great, Zach. I mean, it's been, met, I think it's very eventful. Coach Mullen does a great job. He's on each of them. He he typically kicks it off and then he ends it. In the interim, you know, we do, we have the various speakers come on. Uh, and it's it's been, and, and I will tell you this, even when this thing opens up, hopefully COVID's going to be a passing thing in five years. We'll be talking about, yeah, I was there for the great pandemic. But uh, I think these virtual tours are going to be here to stay in some form or fashion, especially for kids that are, you know, really out of state and far away. It can be a nice introductory tool. Yeah, absolutely. Now, as we know, things are scheduled to open back up in June. Coach Mullen has always already talked about the anticipation of that and how he just thinks it's going to open up the floodgates for recruits and you guys are going to be swamped with visits. Uh, at the same time, I'm sure it's something that you and your staff are looking forward to, just how much preparation is kind of being made for that so you guys can capitalize on that in this cycle. We have a significant number of individuals already scheduled for official visits uh, starting the first weekend in June. There's a lot of planning goes with that. There's going to be even more planning than normal. It, it's quite a comprehensive logistical effort. And that's where Lee gets heavily involved, does a spectacular job. As I said earlier, that's really an all hands on deck. When we have an official visit weekend, uh, everybody in our staff is, you know, working and doing stuff. And, you know, whether it's we're driving families around, you know, we, we get a series of vehicles that we, you know, obviously we will release for the weekend and drive families around and into the various venues in order to accomplish that they can see everything they need to see, you know, just, just the arranging meals and making sure it's, and now it's going to be doubly interesting with COVID because we may or may not be able to move in mass like we typically do. You know what I'm saying? We, yeah. we may have to split some things up. So, uh, but we're we're on top of it. We are excited about it. But we'd be lying. We want it though. We'd be lying if we said we didn't because it's who we are, right? At, at heart, we're recruiters and hosts. And and I know for me, I got into coaching because I'm a people person, and I and I I like being around people, and I draw energy, and I hopefully I hope I give a little, but. Um, so, you know, it's next 40 hours will be big for us, but it is, it involves a ton of organization and there is coach Mullins hundred percent, right. There's going to be, it's going to be a floodgate because right, wrong or indifferent. Uh, a lot of people are going to say, Oh, they opened up. Let's get in there just in case something happens and they closed again. You know, you have a whole group of athletes. This thing's been shut down for about 18 months now. So these kids in this 22 class, many of them have not been on a campus. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and, and normally we would prefer to have kids take official visits after their senior year in, the, in December. A, we just think that's best. It doesn't interrupt their high school season. B, you know, they're a little more ready to make a decision. C, we've got a year's worth of evidence we've been watching. <laughs> uh, but that's not going to be the case this year. A lot of kids want to visit in this June timeframe. So we're, we're preparing for it. And absolutely. And, and Charlie, I know you've uh, settled into your role now. I'm sure you probably, probably don't spend much time reflecting, but how much do, when you think about it, you, you cherish kind of, you know, where you are right now in life and your career, especially as it relates to the University of Florida. I mean, you think about where the program has ascended under Dan Mullen and you guys getting back to the SEC championship last year and especially the success on the trail. I mean, you went through 
the, the late 70s and, and the 1979 season. So to see Florida football in the program be at that low and to now help it kind of ascend to where it's headed now, how much you know, joy do you take in that? Yeah, you're right, Zach. There, there, you know, again, there ain't many things I'll tout the horn of being older about, but that's one of them, perspective, you know. Um, and so perspective is everything. And you can only get perspective from experience. And so you're right. It is, it's incredibly, it's, it's uh, surrealistic at times. But you get to sit here and view and, and, and sometimes you pinch yourself that, you know, you're just blessed to be a part of it all. You know, as a Gator for a long time, seen the best of times. It's like Dickens, right? A tale of two cities. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Uh, you know, it's seen the bad and the good. The great thing is, I know Coach Mullen believes this the same way. You know, uh, we, we have ascended and we've done some good things, right? But good is the enemy of great. And, mm. you know, we're, we're certainly not happy with what we've we're, we're appreciative of what we've accomplished, but we're not satisfied. How's that? And we got, as far as I'm concerned, we got miles to go. I know coach Mullen feels the same way, you know, and coach Mullen has, has two national championship rings. You know, he was here in 06 and 08. I want these guys to know what that's like to have a national championship ring. I want a national championship ring. I got a million bowl rings and I got more rings. I know what to do with. I don't have a national championship ring. So that's our goal. And, and let, let me add this. That's our goal done with integrity. And that's something I really appreciate about coach. Uh, you know, we're, we don't just sell football at the University of Florida. And the great news is because we don't have to just sell football. You know, we're the only institution in America that's been in the top 10 as a public university and a top 10 in football polls, you know, the last several years. Uh, Gator fans know what this school is academically. Uh, this is a unique, we're, we're offering something that nobody else can offer. There are some other great academic schools, but you can't have a chance to win a national championship in football. And there's some other great football schools, but they're not in a zip code with us academically. If both are important to you, this is the only place in America, as far as I'm concerned, you know, that you can come get that. So just to be a part of that is incredible. Uh, forever appreciative of the opportunity. For me, it's a spiritual thing. I don't think I'm here by accident. And, you know, uh, I guess I'm a I'm on the, the good Lord's plan. So whatever plan that is, is the best plan as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. And as we wrap things up, Charlie, you know, you're one of several ga uh, former Gators on this staff and, and coach Mullen kind of made it a point when he started here to involve former players in the program. He retained Reggie McGrew, obviously hired Vernell Brown, and he has you and Kiwan Ratliff working in the recruiting department just to have former players that have been here that understand the program and the tradition of this place. I mean, there's so many people here that play a role, obviously, but for the former players, how key is that to have within the program? I think it's huge. And, and I will say this, if Coach Mullins is here for the next 45 years or he left tomorrow for whatever reason, I will always be appreciative of him for that, not just for me, but just in general. He has been the first coach in a very long time who has made it. It's not just happenstance. He's made an effort to get some ex-skaters in here. And uh, I, I, I don't know why we haven't done it before. I can't speak to that. But I absolutely think it's the right way to go because there is there is an intangible involved with that. Um you know, we, we, last year, COVID's a little different, right? Uh, yeah. We're all dying for that stadium to be filled again. But I think back to that, my first year back here, 2019, and, you know, I'm on the sideline before the game, and I typically have my sunglasses. And when the Gators run out of the tunnel, just between you and me, I typically pull my sunglasses down because I'm a little embarrassed for people to see that tear in my eye. Once you've run through that tunnel, that's an indelible imprint on you, and it stays with you for life. Mm -hmm. And it, there's a there's a uh, – there's both a pride and an appreciation associated with that. That's it's indescribable. So I thank coach Mullen for that. I know Kiwan and Vernell and Reggie feel the same way. Uh, it's hard to articulate. It's hard to put in words and hopefully it shows up in our work ethic and in the quality of our work and giving back to the university that's given us so much. Absolutely. And then final thing for, uh, for you, Charlie, you know, in the next, I don't know, five, 10 years, what do you think the future holds for you? Do you see yourself staying in recruiting? Would you like to eventually get back into coaching? Um, I mean, if the FBI ever comes to offer you another job, would you take it? Where, where do you see your career going from here? Well, there's not many things I can give you a definite answer on. I can give you a definite answer. I am not going back into law enforcement. Yeah. <laughs> um, they, they don't, I don't think they'd want me back either. Well, uh, I, I still don't know if your wife would let you either. Yeah. And, and the reason I didn't stay was my wife and she definitely wants no part of that. Yeah. So, um, so that's that I can tell you hundred percent. Sure. You know, Zach, I learned if there's one thing this profession teaches you is to grow where you're planted. 
and do the best job you can do on that given day mm-hmm. and then let everything else take care of itself. And I didn't always have that perspective. Um, a lot of young coaches, I mean, they're game planning out their next three or four jobs or who's getting that job or that job. This is the most humbling profession in the world. Um, <clears throat> it's not always, you know, your, your apparent uh, secular success is not all, always tied to your abilities. There's a lot of things out of your control. So not to sound like a politician or to give you a nebulous answer, but all I can tell you is I am 100% all into the Florida Gators right now. I have no intentions of being anywhere else. And then we'll deal with life as the Lord throws at us as it comes down the pike, you know, but I couldn't be any happier to be here. I get to represent, um, you know, I, I, for whatever reason, I guess I've developed a reputation as a decent recruiter. I can tell you the only reason is because I really believe what I'm selling and offering. And that is, I think I have an opportunity to represent the best brand in college football. And I think I can back that up with objective facts, not just my subjective feelings. So, uh, I, you know, I'm in. I'm all in as a Gator. Absolutely, Charlie. Well, that that's great stuff. We really appreciate all the time and perspective and and sharing your story with us. It's definitely an incredible background and how you ended up here. But like you said, every, everything's kind of perfect timing with some of these. So um, definitely wish you the best of luck this summer as things uh, ramp up in recruiting. I know you and your staff is going to be on top of it as you guys keep trying to bring a late talent here to Gainesville, Florida. We're going to take this next break. We'll come back on the other side and wrap up the Gator Sports Podcast presented by the Gainesville Sun. Appreciate Charlie for all his time there. That was a great interview. Oh, great yeah. to hear his story and uh, pretty unique. I mean, obviously, I think a lot of people knew about Vernell Brown and Kiwan Radliff and Reggie McGrew, but Charlie's story was was really different. And, and I think he, the perspective and background that he brings to this program is something that that adds value, especially in the role that he's in with organization. I mean, working 20 years in corporate America, you got to know what you're doing um, in that department. But uh, I want to switch gears now and talk about some uh, other UF sports as we wrap up. Graham, you were at Florida Ballpark on Tuesday night for an incredible game. And I think a, a moment that this baseball team really needed. Certainly they got the win at Tennessee Sunday to avoid the sweep, but they got another series loss on the road. Uh, definitely needed, I think, a pick-me-up. And to be able to beat your rival like that in walk-off fashion uh, and, and and Buddy takes his shirt off there once he gets in the home plate. I mean, what was it like to be in the ballpark for that and for Ford to, to see Ford to get that win? I thought that was a huge win for two reasons, two big reasons. I have to say that one, obviously Florida has had a ton of success against FSU, but you were facing a three-game losing streak at the hands of a Seminoles team that's not very good. They handed you one earlier in the season, and then last year snapped your 16-0 start. You really didn't want to add another one here, and especially, as you noted, coming off a season lo- series loss to another one of your rivals, Tennessee, who is looking fantastic, hasn't lost a series all season. So this was a huge game for the Gators, absolutely. And I think maybe even bigger, though, for long-term implications, Zach, has got to be the way that Jack Lefwich came in there in the end of the game. You got a fantastic start uh, from from Garrett Milchin there, who really, for you got to give him a whole lot of credit, battled back from two Tommy John surgeries and then gave you a career high in innings pitched and had a career high strikeouts. And then Jack Lefwich comes in the game Usually your Saturday starter who this last month has, I don't want to call it necessarily a disaster for him, but it's been, it's been tough. It's been very tough. It's been, he's been on the ropes. Let's call it that of losing his starting job. And he has fallen out of the lineup. You've seen them gone, gone with Alleman on Saturday of last week and Christian Scott the weekend before against Ole Miss on that Friday game, Jack Leftwich came in and didn't allow a hit struck out seven and, won the game for Florida, picked up his fifth win of the season before the walk-off win by Kendrick Kalilau. It was a fantastic win for Florida, but if you can get Jack Lefwich to start giving you more of what he gave you last season, even a little bit at the beginning of the season, you're going to be very gracious that this game happened Tuesday, Zach. Absolutely, and obviously I think the Florida baseball team always feels gracious for their fans when they come out. They've really played well at home, and they'll have another opportunity this weekend with the three-game series against Missouri and then the Florida softball team is looking to bounce back from their second midweek loss of the season to UCF. They lost earlier in the year and then this past week uh, fell 
seven to nothing, uh, and and that was at home as well. After the the softball team had won five games in a row, so they'll be looking to bounce back, and they'll have a tough matchup this weekend going on the road to face number three Alabama. So we'll see how Tim Walton teams fares there, and then obviously some other teams in action uh, for the NCAA tournaments, Graham, and, and some titles on the line as well. Yeah, I really want to have a chance to highlight some women's sports here. A couple weeks ago. If you watched the NCAA women's basketball tournament, you were treated to probably, in my opinion, one of the best ones I've ever seen. Uh, Ada Barnes is fantastic. I think she's going to have a very successful career, but you're finally seeing a lot more parity in women's college basketball, which really the sport has sorely needed because so often it has been dominated by four or five programs every single year. And to have a year where really it looked like 10 to 12 teams could have won it there. To see that continuing to increase is going to be huge for the sport. But right now is maybe the biggest week for women's college sports right now, in my my opinion. Uh, you, you look at the women's volleyball tournament, it's going to be televised live on ESPN, the entire tournament on ESPN, ESPN2, and then on the ESPN app. Florida is in it as well. And then this weekend, Uh, is the gymnastics championship, which is going to be live on ABC at at 8 p.m. And earlier in the day, it's going to be on ESPN, too. That's absolutely huge exposure for both sports. And to get them on primetime networks is going to be massive to see under the lights. I'm really excited for it. Florida is in that first session session that begins on Friday at 1 p.m. They go up against Minnesota, California, and Michigan. And the top two teams from that session qualify for Saturday's final where the winner is the 2021 champion. So I'm really looking forward to this going off uh, and for it getting a lot of exposure, Zach. Yeah, I mean, sometimes the baseball team can't even get that much TV coverage. Not even on, you know? Yeah, so definitely shout out uh, to the ladies and and wish them the best of luck this weekend. And that'll do it for this episode of the Gator Sports Podcast. Appreciate all you listen. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Charles Kalaski. Really appreciate him taking the time. And it's going to be a busy time for him and his staff come June. And Graham and I will keep you guys on top of it, let you know the guys come into town. And certainly if there's any more additions to come for this uh, Florida basketball program, For Graham Hall, I'm Zach Albaverde. No one.